0: Well, hello. Hello and welcome. It's June. Football has finally disappeared off the sporting stage and cricket has three whole months to hold sway, which means it must be time for a little broad and fry. And we're going to start this week with our listener questions. We usually do that in the second half, but for interesting reasons, we're going to start with questions. And I can see you're scrolling through your tablet there, Stuart. What have you found? I'm trying to pick out one for you,
1: actually. Ooh. Well, actually, no, I'm trying to pick out one that we can both answer.
0: Okay. Well, here's one we might be able to. Was there any moment in your international career so far when you thought, this is it, I've made it? That's a good question, that, isn't it? Yeah.
1: Good way to start. Um, the obvious answer for me is the first time I was involved in a team winning the Ashes. I think 2009. So I'd gone through a long period as a teenager growing up of England not winning the Ashes 80 or since I was born really 80 86 87 to 2005 so that was a big group of English cricketers never having that amazing feeling of beating Australia in, a, in an Ashes series so that moment of beating them was a bit like very special to be involved in but also done something that not every English cricketer can enjoy yeah. or achieve uh, so that was a little bit of a, not I've made it because international sport quickly um, comes after you, doesn't it? You. But it's, yeah. it's, that was a moment of, you know, going home with the medal. And
0: this is, this is pride of place. Yeah, because... You know, Am I right in remembering there was the Lord's test that year? A lot of greybeards were saying, oh, he's bowling too short. He doesn't seem to understand how to bowl for test cricket. And then you put them completely right. Uh,
1: Yeah, well, I was under big pressure in that series. That was three tests in. I hadn't really taken any wickets. I was pretty much a bit of a bit part bowler for Straussie, the captain. I was, Flintoff was bowling great. Jimmy was bowling well. Graham Onions was bowling brilliantly. And I was sort of... I remember at I was throwing the ball after 69 overs. You know, as a main, main-line bowler, that's concerning. <laughs> um, and then I had a little bit of luck at Headingley. I got six wickets in a losing yeah. game, but I, I, I bowled quite nicely, got Ponting, got Hussey, which always gives you a bit of a, a yeah. boost. And then at the Oval, got the five for 30-odd that, 30 odd that um, set me on my way, really. So that was a moment of... A, we've won the Ashes. That's special because not every English cricketer can say that. B, I've put in a performance that's helped yeah. win the Ashes. I can do it here. Ponting caught substitute. Yeah, well, actually, Ponting bold. My, uh, Michael oh, Clark caught. Um, Freddie ran out. Ran out Ponting on the last day. Yes, if you remember, of course. Um, it was uh, Steve Harmson... Took his last test wicket, I think, coming charging in at the end. Graham Swan took the final wicket, yeah. caught Alistair Cook. If you watch that back, Cook, he puts the ball straight in his pocket. If you notice that? <laughs> so he's got the ball. That he's was a big keeper of uh, <laughs> memorability. Yeah, the yeah. the Ashes was won, and the ball was in Alistair Cook's pocket very quickly. Um, <laughs> and the T20 World Cup, actually, 2010. Yeah. England's first ever white ball trophy, only white ball trophy. As we speak live now, hopefully that changes. But um, that was that was pretty special. Achieving things as a team that no other team in your country
0: has achieved is 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 great. I can't really match that. No one in my pitiful profession can match what uh, sportsmen and women can achieve. But. Uh, I I think I always remember when I was a student um, I was in this comedy club quite sort of well known one called the Footlights and um, and my contemporaries uh, at university were, were Hugh Laurie and uh, Emma Thompson and and uh, Tenny Slattery and we were all in this group and we went to Edinburgh to, to do a comedy show and we were students you know Hugh had said that he was going to join the Hong Kong police force because he had read somewhere that they had a problem with corruption and he fancied himself as a kind of you know cleanser of you know he would be the honest one you know the 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 complete complete fantasy I thought I'd I'd go back to university and maybe teach you know become a you know an academic grow tweed in a a corner quietly Uh, but and this was the first year in 1981 at Edinburgh they had this comedy award called the Perrier award and and, uh, it was quite a big deal and obviously we knew we wouldn't win it because we were Cambridge and everyone hates Oxbridge for damn good reasons and uh, so we just thought well well, as long as we get away with it and people come and enjoy it but amazingly we did win the award and and we didn't know this, so we were on stage, we we're taking our bow, and suddenly there's this enormous round of applause that comes on top of the applause that was given to us anyway. And um, we turn round, and rather shyly coming on stage is Rowan Atkinson, who was already a big star because of Not the Nine o'Clock News. And he was some um, hello, and um, uh, he was carrying this thing. And we thought, what's he doing in our show? What's he doing? And he just put his hand up and said, um, if I can. Have your attention, please. And uh, he announced that we'd won this Perry Award. And we kind of were dazed. I mean, literally. But we didn't know that it really meant anything, except that evening. There was a person who came round to our dressing room and said they were from the BBC. And could they show our show on... Television on BBC Two—that's like a student show to be shown on television. It was just insane. We said, "Really?" They said, "Yes." And then the next night, some people came from Granada Television, basically saying, "We'd we'd like to give you a series." It was it was extraordinary. Two days when we go up as students, thinking, "Well, you know," and then I'll it'll all be over, and because it was our last year at university, and and this thing happened. It was. Unbelievable. And I think if it had been a year later, stand-up became the big thing in the next few years, and alternative comedy so-called, and a load of Ponce Oxbridge people parading up and down doing funny voices would have, um, would have been forgotten. I nearly said laughed. <laughs> laughed out of court, but the whole point was to be laughed at. It reminds me of the great Bob Monkhouse joke, do you know that? Um, oh, well. They laughed when I said I wanted to be a comedian. They're not laughing now. <laughs> but anyway, so, yeah, that was probably my most exciting. You can never it's the first time, isn't it? You just can't believe it. You go to bed thinking, "Oh my goodness, I'm going to be on television." In your case, "Oh my goodness, I'm going to play for England against Australia." I mean, ah, yeah. Ooh, shivers run down my spine. Uh, I like this one actually. Uh, yeah. From
1: pagey our cricket coach is anything like football managers in so much as dishing out the hairdryer treatment.
0: Ah, right. Which, in case people don't know what that means, means getting right in your face and bawling at you. Yeah, was Fergie
1: kicked the boot at David Beckham yeah. and cut him and all that sort of thing. Yeah. I think, actually, I have to think about this, probably means no, in the fact that yeah. I can't think of many occasions where a coach of mine has really lost patience or or really shouted at us terribly. Of course, we've been involved in terrible defeats, but... Yeah. I don't know whether cricket is, obviously it's a a longer game than football, so the emotions are stretched. Yeah. So uh, you might be really cross with something that your player did at 11.15, but come half five, you've had five cups of tea and calmed down slightly, I suppose. But um, I don't know whether it's such a a skill-based sport with the bat and ball and in the field that when you lose, it's generally, it's not because of lack of effort or lack of running or or lack of heart it's you've been outskilled yeah. by the opposition
0: so and the plans true. are so thought through that it, it's unlikely to be because you're being tactically or strategically inept one would have assumed. yeah it's
1: a, a gem in cricket you gen, generally lose if the out, other team has outskilled you yeah. really so there's not many occasions that you feel like you need to like the fireworks really i suppose um, and and
0: of course because of the nature of cricket there's a the period when when you're batting when the captain can slowly consult with the coach and they can sit you know when the batter when the captain isn't actually at the crease can he'll be he'll be somewhere and you will all be slowly talking to each other and going over what yeah we maybe get lunch and tea, and tea. 20,
1: 40 yeah. minutes 20 minutes where we we have debriefs we'll you know the captain will stand up or the coach or players and go I think this happened, I don't think we got that quite right, what do you think about this, where do we move it forward? So it's very, structured. To the wrong word, but it's
0: calm and yeah. um, a lot of direction, rather than,
1: you should be trying harder, why are you not trying yes. harder,
0: do you know what I mean? Cause, yeah, it's not the intensity of the half-time period in football, where obviously the same players are going to go out into the second half, give or take a few substitutions, whereas if, you know, if, you, if there's been a dismal batting performance and five players are out by lunch, you can't, there's no no point uh, hair drying them because they're not going to go in again till the second yeah, innings. It's yeah, pointless. they've got three days till they yes, need it. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> so yeah. So it, it, and it's not it's not because cricket is a gentle game. It's just because of the structure of it, isn't it? I guess. I yeah, mean it's I think just so. Just as much pressure on you as there is on footballers, or maybe not as much as the highest pitch of international football. I don't know. In terms Have you of ever got a bollock in? Do you know? It's interesting. I mean. Yes that the, the uh, but but I mean there was a time when directors, both on stage and and in uh, in film, could be brutal bullies. It, that time is over, as it is in most workplaces. And a film set or, you know, a rehearsal room for a play is a workplace just like an office or anywhere else. And and someone is put in charge, um, and it's the same with conductors in orchestras. They used to they used to scream at players and insult them and humiliate them. There were a few. Everyone knew who those directors were, and they were deeply unpopular, and people were scared of them. And I always thought it was just. Being a bad director, it's not you don't get the best out of an actor by yelling at them mm. or humiliating them. But uh, I, I I can remember w- one um, director uh, I won't name him. He's since uh, died, and he, and I actually liked him. He was in, furiously intelligent, a very successful uh, director of film and television, and um, but he had an incredibly polite way of speaking to people, mostly with his eyes closed. And I remember we were doing this scene where uh, it was a film film thing where this. Uh, day player, as we say. He was only on for a day. He played the the manager of an Italian restaurant. Uh, and he had these Lines that he had, I had to say to him, arrive at the restaurant, um, where are you expecting me? He said, uh, but, Sydney Davenport, you did book. And in the story, someone had been maliciously playing pranks on me and booking whole restaurants in my name, uh, my favorite restaurant. And then when I turn up, they go, where is everybody? And they've, you know, annoying. Anyway, that was the plot. So he said, but you did book. And I, I said, no, I didn't book. He said, but you did. And, um, uh, and the first time uh, I came, We said, the director said, well, let's rehearse the lines. And I did. And the actor said, well, you did the book. And the director said, excuse me, um, Ronaldo, isn't it? I think our our writer here has written, but you did book. But you said, well, you did book. Oh, I, I, I was thinking maybe that is more likely what he said. I think I'd be very grateful if you'd be kind enough to stick to exactly the words that the playwright wrote. Thank you. Right into his face. That Thank you. Like that. And the poor fellow was in tears. And I, said, I went to the director and I said, you can't. And I was quite young. It was one of the first things I did. And I said, you can't talk to someone like that. And he said, I was scrupulously polite. And I thought, if you read it back in court, I would be very grateful if you'd be kind enough to read the words exactly as the playwright has written them. Thank you. It looks so innocent. But when you say it right in someone's face with your eyes closed and this kind of mad grin on you, I mean, terrifying. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Nice, <laughs> yeah. But those days, I think, are over. We just, we just don't treat people in the way that they used to a generation or so ago. And I generally believe that's really very good. I you know. What do we else we got? Russell of Pages. Here's an interesting one. I mean, uh, I don't think there is an answer except uh, who the hell knows from Peter Henson. Cricket series with an even number of games in them. Why? Could easily have been WTF, but it's WHY. Yeah, so by series, you know, a rubber or, you know, a a test series of of four or six or even two sometimes, it it means there's never going to be a result. The twos are frustrating Mm.
1: as a player because, A, it's such a short, I mean, 10 days sounds a long period of time, but it's (laughs) such a short period of time to settle into a series, you know if you make one mistake in an innings it could cost you the series because if you go one nil down you can't win the series yeah. um example we went to Auckland last year pink ball test match and we were 27 for 9 or something and <laughs> the series is gone you you, yeah. you can't get back from there so uh I, I think yeah two is it's uncomfortable to play in because you you're constantly playing obviously you're looking to win, but you know you can't make any mistake yeah. and you don't get to know the opposition at all. You know, you you don't get to work out mm-hmm. a batsman over a three, four, five game series and yeah. you don't get those personal battles that you're getting won over on the opening batsman and then they, he has a great innings and steps you back and then you've got to
0: fight back. So It's also um, been insulting to the countries because, you know, you, when it's England, it's always going to be five with... Australia, and usually the West Indies and India, but it might be a smaller number with what they would consider, oh, so we're lesser countries, aren't yeah, we? I, I,
1: I genuinely don't know the reason yeah. for it. I mean, international cricket now, especially with a lot of domestic tournaments coming up, like the IPL and mm. Caribbean Premier League, etc., big bash, the cricket schedule's tight. So yeah. that's that's part of the reason we don't get a lot of warm-up games. Yeah. Um in countries but it's also i'm sure why we have short test match tours and they're quite they are quite hard to prepare for because if you're only going for two test matches you're not getting three warm-up games you know you, you have to be right on the money as soon as you get into that series and um it's quite high pressure because you know that you've got to play the perfect series to win it
0: yes and one fears in that human way which is not restricted entirely to cricket and its organizers if the question is why the answer is nearly always money Wow, well, it's a bit above my pay grade. That really. <laughs> <laughs> You're very tactful, very wise. Uh, here's one, which uh, at least we can explain what the, what it means. Uh, from Clem, have you seen that one? The ultimate question: Is there anything more dazzling and sensual than a well-executed long barrier? Wow. Okay. Do you do a good long barrier? You're often well, out in the deep, so you probably I'll have fr- to.
1: It's sort of gone out of the game slightly. Fielding mm. coaches don't see it as the most
0: athletic, uh, yeah, aggressive, positive movement. So we describe it as it's a kind of kneel, isn't it? Yeah, but I mean it, one leg kneel.
1: It's a one leg kneel. Basically, you're f-
0: you're forming a yeah, a
1: fence, a barrier. Mm. So if you miss it with your hands, you're hoping it crashes into your
0: knee yeah, cause or you're... your shin to yeah. stop it. Because one knee's against the behind the heel of the other foot. Yeah,
1: other very leg. good on really bouncy and bumpy outfields. Yeah, shouldn't need it at Lords, where you're right. basically on a bowling green. You know, it's, the ball yeah. just moves beautifully. Um, yeah, you you. Very rarely as an international cricketer do you get away with that now. If you yeah. do it, you'll have a fielding coach on the balcony staring at you like, where's <laughs> the positive intent in that? So because
0: thing. it takes too long to get up from it and throw in. Is that the problem? Yeah, it is. Yeah. You
1: should be... The way we talk in a team is every time the ball comes near you, it's a, it's a chance to have an impact on the game. So you should attack the ball, attack it with a nice low posture... Get it in two hands aggressively and throw it quickly into the wicketkeeper. Yeah. Um, I think the long barrier came. It's quite a defensive way of yeah. stopping the ball. Um, yeah, it is elegant though. It's if you elegant. Look it up, yeah. You well, it, I'm yeah. six foot six. It's not You've that elegant when you get up. To, yeah. Further way to go. <laughs> after 25 <laughs> overs, and I'm getting hauled up by a crane. Once I go down, it's not so elegant. But have you? Ever, me, oh, sorry. For ahead. me, the the sort of most elegant, beautiful sight on the cricket field is a slip catch. I think being a bowler that there's that lovely time stopping moment where the, you've caught the edge of the bat yeah. and you can see it going directly to first, second, third slip and time just stops and you'd stop breathing, you're you you're just waiting for that ball to stick in the hands and as a bowler you're you've bowled it from 22 yards, you're probably now 18 with your follow through, you've got a beautiful straight line view of that ball moving towards the slips and... To me, that I mean, Graham Swan was just brilliant at it. Um, but to me, that that sight of a slip fielder getting in a great position to catch the ball uh, can't be beaten.
0: Oh, I'd agree with that. But there's an, a modern—I don't know if there's a word for it—the the, the boundary hop, the throw up, and the boundary hop when when, when you've got a catch coming. You uh, only really see these in one-day games in T20. Uh, and and uh, and the, and the field is right on the boundary rope, or the sort of strange cushiony Toblerones that count as boundary ropes these days. And 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 uh, he's leaning back, and the impetus of taking the catch is going to make him go over and or, or touch the boundary. Uh, and so they throw it up in the air, hot behind with that impetus, and it's up in the air long enough for them to get forward of it and catch it, so that it's a, a legal catch and not a six. Have you ever done one of those yourself? Uh, we practice
1: it every day. Do you? Yeah, really?
0: it's now it's
1: now as. Standard of practice as a high catch going straight up. It's. God. um
0: There was a time when it was only people like Maxwell who were you yeah saw doing it. Yeah, but now I everyone.
1: Mean, the, the guys are brilliant at that. It's such God. a it is a great skill. So an awareness of knowing where the boundary rope is, Um yeah. and I mean you're not allowed to step outside the boundary rope
0: while before, your hand is not touching the.
1: Ball. Well, that would be six. But also while the ball's in the air, so the ball once it's been hit, if you step outside. And then jump back in to catch the ball, that would be oh, six of course, yes. because you're expanding the playing area to gain momentum to come yes. back in, I think so yes. it's uh, yeah they're brilliant to watch aren't they when when yeah. they come off it's, um I always think the batsman looks really unlucky when they get out to a catch like that, but actually they're practiced that often now it's yeah. it's almost expected that you you pull off a catch like that
0: um, it is it's true uh, and, and I still kind of my eyes pop out of my
1: and we'll, we'll see a lot in this World Cup because yeah. the boundaries will be brought in. There'll be big advertisement um, around the boundary's edge, so it, players will be very aware where the boundary's edge is, calm enough to flick the ball in the air if the momentum's taking yeah. them over, and we'll see a few.
0: Yeah, I saw Johnny Best I did one in the in a warm up game. Yeah, uh, it's an amazing new thing. Is there a fielding position that your heart sinks when the captain points you to it? Is there one you think? Oh, because I know you'd like to go mid on, but often so you can chat with with Jimmy when he's bowling. yeah, like a little chinwag. wag. Yeah, yeah. yeah just, uh, <laughs> it's nice to have a little
1: chat. Um, point and square leg, are hard positions. I think you know that your side because on because the, so the cuts the and pa- the pulls are good. The pace of the ball yeah. being bowled so it's hard for your eye to follow yeah. when you're that close. And also the pace of the ball that leaves the bat either on a pull shot or a cut shot yeah. is, is um, really quick and a lot of spin added to the ball, especially at points. So their reaction places you need, your Ben Stokes and your real sh- Paul Collingwoods, your fielders who are exceptional there because it's very tough to see, yeah. especially like at Trent bridge, my home ground with a white ball because all the seats are white really hard to see the white ball come off the bat. So, um yeah, you need your your real sharp fielders in that position. Your low, dynamic, yeah. good position, good posture whereas at mid-on, you know, you six-foot-six bowlers who can stand there and, and uh,
0: <laughs> pull out the long barrier if needed. Oh, and now, listen, I've just suddenly thought of a competition uh, for our listeners, if there's time before we take the break. I carry around with me, and I sort of add to it, it's very silly and it's very me, this, you may think, what kind of person does that? But um, words for hitting a cricket ball, all right? Now, I've got them, I've got them in alphabetical order, and every time I hear a commentator or someone uh, saying, oh, he... And they use the verb for for hitting a ball. Uh, I add it. So he angled it down. For example, if you want the letter A, as I've got it, you know, he angled it down to there or whatever. So uh, you can play this. But the the anyone who can come up with the most words that I've left out of this list, which are legitimate words you would use for a way of hitting a cricket ball, okay? I'm going to go through it. It's in alphabetical order. It'd be quite fast, but you can always rewind if you're listening, okay? Angle. Bat, batter, belt, biff, blast, blat, block, bludgeon, bunt. Caress, chip, clatter, clip, clout, club, clump, cream, crunch, cut. Drag, drive, dib, dig out. Ease, edge. Feather, fetch, flail, flay, flick, flip. Glance, glide, glove, guide. Hammer, haul, heave, help, hoik, hook. Jab. Lace, lap, lash, launch, loft. Mow, muller, munch, murder. Nick, nudge, nurdle, paddle, paste, pat, ping, poke, power, prod, pull, pummel, punch, push, ramp, rinse, run, scoop, scythe, shovel, slap, slash, slog, slug, smack, smash, smear, smite, smoke, snick, spank, spear, spoon, squeeze, squirt, steer, strike, stroke, swat, sweep, swipe. Tap, thrash, thump, thwack, tickle, time, tip, tonk, tuck, turn, wallop, whack, work. There you are. That's my lot. <laughs> I watch peaky blinders in my spare time, and that's what you do. <laughs> it's not much, if I'm watching cricket and I suddenly hear, he mull, I hear you know, it's a favourite of Mike Atherton, or oh, he mullered that, you know, I think, oh, yeah, I've got to wear that. Is that on my list? And I check, you know. So some of them you think well, that they're, they're a bit weird, um, you know, like, uh, well, obviously, turn is easy, but uh, the number of S's, it's extraordinary, isn't it? Steer, squirt, you see, they're all real ones. He squeezed it, spooned it, speared it, and, and some of the, I mean, it's fascinating, but it shows the variety in cricket. I think any cricket lover would tell you the nuance of difference. So you want our listeners to try and add to your list? Yeah, exactly. If they can think of words I missed out. Uh, and on that note, while they're thinking of it, uh, we can take a break. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter.
1: Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you
1: cha-ching. From the Launch Your Online Shop stage Welcome back to Broad and Fry. I've got one more question for yeah. us both, actually, before we look at the first week of the World Cup. Who's the most surprising
0: person you've bumped into at a cricket match? Well, I bumped into him twice. The first time was surprising, but I now know he loves cricket, so the second time wasn't surprising. But um, I was a guest of David Frost. To say in his box at Lord's years and years ago, it was one of the very first times I'd ever been in a box at Lord's, which was, just, you know, boo, hiss, hospitality, etc. But it's rather exciting to be in one. And uh, who should sit next to me but Mick Jagger? Right, okay. I was just completely bowled away. And 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 Ian Botham came in and, and sat next to him. Now, that's obviously not surprising, but what, what it revealed was that you'll probably be familiar with this because it was just classic, Mick Jagger was saying, oh, I don't understand why they haven't got a short forward square. I and mean, his arm ball isn't really working at the moment. And it's just all cricket. That's all he was talking about. And Ian was going, so what gig was the most, you know, and he <laughs> wanted to talk rock and roll and drugs and women and all kinds of things. I'm not saying anything bad about Ian. But, uh, and all Mick wanted to talk about was, was the most detailed uh, aspects of cricket. So they, they kind of d- couldn't have a conversation. Yeah. What about you? Uh, well, it's a tricky one as a player, isn't it? Because you
1: walk out the changing room down the stairs towards a pitch. You go on the pitch with your teammates and back to the changing room. Um, so you're unlikely to bump into someone unsurprising <laughs> apart from Joe Root and Ben Stokes. But uh, I mean, we've had a few in the change room. Um remember after Nash's test, Daniel Radcliffe came in, Harry Potter. Oh. You probably know his voice quite well after <laughs> your uh, audio books. Uh, he seemed to really... Really nice guy, he very is. knowledgeable on, on cricket. Him and Tom Felton's Malfoy um oh, enjoy their cricket, yeah. I think, don't they? Yeah, they um, do. So yeah, it's always great when you see different personalities coming to the cricket and enjoying the cricket, don't you? Because yeah. um I actually had randomly I, I was at a dinner and Jose Mourinho was there a couple of years ago. And he said he watches the odd bit of cricket to relax him because he was Bobby Robson's interpreter at Barcelona. <gasps> And Bobby Robson was a huge cricket fan, yes, he loved cricket. made him watch cricket and be able to translate and and learn the languages <laughs> through that. So he said that it reminds him of, of Bobby when the cricket's on, which was nice to hear as
0: well. I can just add, instead of surprising person at the cricket, a cricketer in a surprising place. Now, there's a place in Los Angeles which is legendary for old Hollywood and modern Hollywood and everything in between. It's a hotel called the Chateau Marmont. And it's where John Belushi died, very sadly, from his drug overdose. There are all kinds of stories of its wickedness and depravity and darkness. And uh, it's one of the sort of last places, the Chateau, as they call it, just for short, where, you know, you expect the cool people to hang out. And despite that, I was there one evening having dinner. And who did I see? across the kind of outside garden bit of the Chateau Marmont. You know, behind there was Bill Murray, you know, there was, you know, whoever, Tom Hanks, there was, you know, Brad Pitt. Something. And there was Stuart Broad. What well, I never quite got to the bottom of what the <laughs> hell you were doing there. Yeah, I, I don't think I know either. Um, yeah, that was...
1: Uh, you were just sat there having dinner on your own, weren't yeah, you? Yeah, the nice was because I was staying at the place. Yeah. Bottle of red, yeah, <laughs> uh, which you didn't offer to share. Um, <laughs> uh, I was, no, I was on holiday. I actually, I was in New Zealand. We'd drawn against New Zealand that famous Test oh. match where Matt Pryor got a hundred. We batted out one hundred and fifty yes. odd overs.
0: So you took flight NZ one, which stops off in LA, Correct. doesn't it?
1: I went down. I had a holiday with my great friends Sophie and Jamie and Jess, and we um, we just children I lay for a week really my only t- my only visit that's my only <laughs> really? one visit and um yeah the one time I walk in there there you were <laughs> it was a bit of a surprise to me actually well, I, was, yes. I actually I, mean, I walked in, like, that's that's Stephen Fry isn't it I've met you a couple of times <laughs> yeah, yeah. and yeah
0: my three friends couldn't quite believe it that I was going over to Stephen Fry <laughs> <laughs> well there you go people do turn up in surprising places mm. especially cricketers
1: Well, the Cricket World Cup is up and running. I'll give you my assessment after week one shortly, but let's reflect on the first match. England opened the tournament at the Oval against South Africa and my podcast partner Stephen Fry was there.
0: So Here I am now. It's uh, it's between the two innings. I've sat there frozen, immobile, slightly scared, as England have not performed quite as we hoped they would. One of the funny things about going to see a cricket match live rather than watching on television is you have less information about the uh, state of the wicket. And it sort of was borne in on me that England were not playing with the fluency and the freedom although there were some good 50s terrific 50 from Root and a you know, great score uh, from, from Ben Stokes high score I think I think since, uh, since the whole Bristol incident um, but uh, maybe there's something in the wicket and maybe uh, Maybe 311 isn't as dismal a score as it seems uh, in England's way. So I'm going to pop back out again and uh, I'm watching them take to the field and hope we can get some wickets and uh, get them rattled. But if someone like Ducott gets away with it and, uh, and starts scoring big, we'll be in trouble. But it, the atmosphere, I can't tell you, it was fantastic. It's just great to be here. And you, the crowd is in fantastic form, even though we haven't done as well as we hoped. I'll catch up with you in a moment. Well, here I am out of the ground now, and, uh, and coming into bowl Here's Jofra Archer. And uh, I have to say, the uh, the openers don't look as if you know Markram and De Kock don't look as if they're in any way uh, under threat, shall we say. And uh, I'm not very optimistic about this. I think they know, because they're following on, of course, that not following on in the cricket sense, um, that uh, they don't have to score at a very high rate, just under six and a half runs and over uh, is uh, the required rate, so they can take their time, and I fear England may be humiliated, well not humiliated but may be uh, beaten is the word I'm looking for uh, in their opening hosting match which will uh, be a bit of a downer but maybe it's what they need to put a bit of extra zip in their Pants. Oh, that's not right, Stephen. Come on, really. What kind of commentator would you make if you come up with phrases like that? Anyway, I'll uh, I'll be back with you. Well, the um, the ninth wicket is done, and uh, it really does look <laughs> even to my pessimistic doomy and unreliable fan pessimism as if England have won this one uh, surprisingly easily and uh, through some moments of brilliance which can scarcely be exaggerated you can hear the uh, crowd now and you can hear the guitar someone thought it would be a good idea to have a guitar playing after every wicket I say someone because only one person must have thought that was a good idea the entirety of the rest of the population must have wondered what the hell they were thinking of in comes Stokes now to Tahir He's out! And that's it. England have won. My word. I'm glad I recorded. There it is. Out for a golden duck. Stokes, surely, man of the match after the most impossible zany, brilliant, aud- aud- audacious, what what adjectives am I after? Surreal, uh, he- heroic, historic, glorious catch uh, and indeed the highest English score. Um, it's a triumph and uh, this match report is full of nothing but hundred. Uh, hi- There, you heard it there, 104 runs. Um, All my worries of lunchtime that you were privy to reveal me to be the pusillanimous little shrimp that I am with not a shred of faith in this remarkable team. Clearly, over 300 was a very good score on on a track that was hard hard to make runs off. So this is me signing off from my match report, filled with joy and happiness, and I'm sorry about the sound quality.
1: Brilliant. Thanks for that, Stephen. I always thought you'd make a wonderful cricket commentator. Now, if you're listening to this podcast on the day of release, then we're exactly one week into the 2019 Cricket World Cup. Perfect timing for me then to give you my assessment of who's got off to a flyer and who's got a little bit of work to do. Best place to start is with England, I think, two games into the World Cup. And actually, I believe, two really strong performances, uh, certainly with The bat uh, with Joe Root and Joss Butler getting wonderful hundreds uh, in the Trent Bridge game against Pakistan and Ben Stokes brilliant against South Africa. I thought, Um, I mean, I was watching in the Edgbaston changing room, uh, having completed day one of the Warwickshire fixture and I thought we were going to do it, to be honest. I mean, Joss Joss was flying, got his hundred, looked like he was suffering from a little bit of cramp um, and then just got unlucky, sliced the ball to, to third man. Uh, and that was our chances dashed, really. Uh, England won't focus too much on the batting performance and not getting over the line. I think they'll look a little bit at the fielding, a bit of a shaky start after the brilliance of of the Oval game, certainly Ben Stokes' catch, etc. But I think there's enough experience in that England change room not to make too much of a, a problem out the fielding, not to make too much noise about it. I think there'll be a bit of that in the media, but the strength of this team will be to shut that out and know that we're a really good fielding team. The strengths of Jason Roy, Stokes, are electric in the field. I don't think a couple of fumbles and a couple of drop catches should take away the aggression in the field and uh, I, I really think in that change room they, they shouldn't make a big deal out of it. Just get on, know that we're a brilliant fielding team and know that we'll we'll put it put it right in the next game at Cardiff against Bangladesh. So I think we're in a brilliant place as a team. I don't mind us losing one early in the tournament because actually these World Cups are won with momentum later on in the tournament and fair play to Pakistan. I mean, brilliant passion. Uh, Wahab coming in at the end with amazing pace and skill. Uh, When they play like that with a smile on their face but with great aggression, they're a great team to watch. So I I don't mind us losing that game. But it's important we go to Cardiff and and put in a a strong display against Bangladesh. In a changing room, a a loss is always tricky to take in any international game because you do feel like you've let the fans down, everyone that's supporting you. And that is heightened in a World Cup because the world are watching and the world have an opinion. And this England team, over the past three, four years, have won so many series, actually haven't lost many games. So... It will be a bit of a test for the change room to come back from a defeat in a game that they were expected to win, let's be honest, at Trent Bridge, a ground that England play fantastic white ball cricket at. So it it will, be, it will have come as a bit of a shock, but there's enough experience in that change room to know that the principles that England have played their white ball cricket with over the last three and a half years will stand true in this World Cup. And if we play like we know we can, we've got a great chance of winning it. So I think... Owen Morgan's a brilliant captain. There's no way he'll step away from what's led this team to, to be very successful. Uh, and just know that the players can deliver to a slightly better standard. You know, Joe Root, brilliant 100. Josh Butler, brilliant 100. No one else really got going, but they've got the talent to get going. So you only need one more batsman to have a day. Uh, and we win that game with ease. So certainly not panic stations. Nice and relaxed. Win the next game and, and we're back on the, the successful road to winning that World Cup. I've seen certain criticism of complacency potentially from from the media. I don't buy that in any way, shape or form. I, I, I saw all the players on Thursday night and Friday uh, after the South Africa game and there's a huge hunger, desire, everything to, to that should go with the World Cup. Um, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if the players were slightly tired after the South Africa game not just the physical exertions of a 50-over game, but actually the emotions, the nerves that go into the opening game of a World Cup in your home country. There's there's no doubt there's a slight tiredness or non-alcoholic hangover slightly from that first game of the emotions. Stokes taking a wonder catch. Joffre Archer bowling incredibly, incredible pace, etc. If they get up to training Saturday, Sunday, it could have been a bit like... Whew, my body feels tired mentally i feel a bit tired and that could have leaked into monday's performance but i don't see that as a criticism that is almost a little bit how it goes at the top flight i know i don't suffer from cramp particularly but uh, when i've bowled first day of an ashes series i get cramp so it can't be anything to do with the physicality of bowling so i do that day day in day out my hydration's probably as good as it would ever be first ashes test It's an anxiety, a nerve, a different pressure that just affects your body slightly. So there might be something in that from Monday that we didn't quite hit our straps. And that's international cricket. You know, Joffre Archer, three for 27 at South Africa. He looks an incredible talent. He was being blown up as the world's best bowler type thing after that game. International cricket always grabs you back into your place. You know, non for nearly 80 and one with the bat. That's what international cricket has done for every cricketer throughout the the history of the game. The key is he comes back in the next few World Cup games and and delivers to a high standard. So it it was an interesting game on Monday. Uh, I certainly don't believe any sort of complacency crept in. Could there have been a bit of tiredness after the, the emotions of the first game? Absolutely. Do I see that being a problem on Saturday against Bangladesh? No. I think we should chat about West Indies, actually. Probably my controversially maybe second favourites for this World Cup, actually. I look at them, they look like they're really uh, together as a team. Uh, They've got some amazing characters in that group with some incredible power. It was actually the bowlers that that won the game at Trent Bridge against Pakistan, bowling them out for 100 with amazing pace and bounce. And on a pitch that, that bounced unlike Trent Bridge, actually. It had it had a maybe a bit more grass on it and really carried through. But it's not their bowling that I look at them as their actual, a, absolute strength. It's actually your Chris Gales at the top, Shea Hopes, a wonderful white ball player, then coming down the order someone like Dre Russ, who I've played with at Nottinghamshire, can win them, can win them a game on their own like he has done in the IPL for Calcutta. So I, I really fancy them as a team. Um, they might not have the spin they need to when the wickets get tired later on. But on their day, they they can beat anyone. And they've certainly got the talent and the spirit to do it. When I look at the West Indies, I think consistency, is that a problem for them, is it not? This World Cup, I actually lean on the side of saying not because it's all about timing. If you get your mistake of a game where you get bowled out for 150 uh, or go for 350 or 400 with the ball in a game that is not vital to win, and then you turn up in the knockout stages and perform like we know the West Indies can, you can win a World Cup. So I don't, I don't expect the West Indies to go through this World Cup undefeated. I think they will lose a game, and I think they'll have a game where they get beaten heavily. But as long as it's in a game that doesn't really matter, obviously all international fixtures matter, but if it's in a game that their lives don't depend on it, they can win this World Cup, and I, I think if they bowl first a lot of the time, their batting lineup could chase anything. Chris Gale could get 80 off 30, get them going, get them ahead of the rate. Shy Hope with his touch and class and can play the sort of Joe Root role, uh, and then they have more power towards the end. So I'm really fancy them. I think it would be great to see them play an Australia. Uh, look forward to the England game. Teams that are genuine contenders, um, but I think they'll I think they'll do really well. Mentioning Australia uh, with the West Indies game on the day of release of this podcast, they're always there and thereabouts in in big ICC tournaments. They've got great experience, great class. David Warner looks like he's in the form of his life. Um, and they've got pace with the ball, uh, a good leg spinner. So it's hard to look past them as semi-finalists. Um, actually sat here at, at Edgbaston, remembering that famous semi-final where Alan Donald dropped the bat and Lance Klusner ran through. The Aussies find a way to win important games and uh, that's just in their DNA. It's in their nature. So, Again, they've got a player like a Joe Root, who England have in Steve Smith, who holds a, holds the batting lineup together. Finch is incredibly hard to bowl at with the white ball. Warner can win games on his own. So I, th- I see them as semi-finalists, and it wouldn't surprise me them ended up in the final. Um, I'd be stunned if they didn't make it to the last four, uh, but... The only way I see them struggling is if the pitches get tired later in the tournament and and it starts to be stodgy, you can't hit it through the line and it begins to turn a little bit. That'll be their their little weakness, but it's why it's such an exciting tournament. I'm going through every team going, yeah, they could win it, they could win it, um, which is great for a fan, uh, but as an England player, an England fan, um, there are a few, play- a few teams that England should be worried about. We see in 50 over cricket, opening batsmen hold the key to the innings, really. A lot of games where England get you 400s, someone in that top two gets a big score. And David Warner is the player for Australia. He's not someone who you think will stop at 80, you know, 80 or 50 balls. He he, he can go and get 140, 150 and win you a game on his own. And, you you know, Warner and Warner and Finch at the top, they're so dangerous. They've got experience of winning World Cups. They've got experience of man of the matches in World Cups. It's those sort of things that take you a long way in pressure scenarios. So I, Warner holds the key for this whole summer, I think. You know, I look at the Ashes team, Warner, Smith, you've got to, you've got to keep their run scoring to a minimum. There, there's no way they're going to go through an Ashes series with, without scoring 100. you just got to make sure that when you get the chance to bowl at them at least three or four times in the Ashes series you get them out early because when they get in they hurt you and you see that in 50 over cricket when they get in they get big runs that can win their team games I think New Zealand will like the conditions in England I think they'd have been jumping for joy at Cardiff when they when the cheats came off that that pitch and it was as green as grass anywhere really wasn't it If so Trent Bolt would have been jumping up and down Um I think they'll like the conditions. They've got some really good bowlers, a beautiful pace bowler in in Ferguson, uh, and the Guptill and Williamson are just consistent run getters. Again, if the pitchers get tired later, I think they might struggle to to strike it like they can do on on tired pitches, but that's where Ross Taylor comes into his own. Huge experience um, and can score you those hundreds off a hundred ball where everyone can bat around him. So... If they if they get lucky and play on pitches like they did at Cardiff, fresh pitch, nipped around, swung, they'll they'll be massive contenders. If they start to get the slow used pitches that come uh game five and six, I don't see them making the semis. We've got to talk about Bangladesh as a as a danger team, really. Um it's it's such a tricky they are such a tricky team to play against because There's something that goes around in world cricket like they're underdogs every game they go in. But they're they're so talented. They're so enthusiastic. And they put you under huge pressure as a team. They've got brilliant players, brilliant individual players that can put in a performance that can win them a game. So uh, I think we saw that in the South Africa game. Bowlers getting key wickets at key times. um, With the bat, the last five overs clearing the ropes with ease. They're, they're a team that have grown and grown over many years of international cricket and with their players having experienced different franchise tournaments around the world, Shakib's a brilliant performer. So they're a team that you turn up against and you're never sure what's coming, but you know it's going to be a big battle. So England on Saturday will be hoping for one of those pitches that New Zealand played Sri Lanka on. A bit of green grass, pace, bounce, bowl short... Uh, and get through that fixture. That's what England will be praying for. Bangladesh will want turn slow, big wide boundaries, and and test England with with the spin bowlers. When people ask me the question, how dangerous are Bangladesh to England? I, uh, I can only think of the last World Cup. They knocked England out. Obviously, I was in, involved in that game. Heartbreaking result at the Adelaide Oval. Um, I look back at that. That was England's fault. That was our fault. We were chasing... Sort of 270 on a really flat pitch. We should have cruised through that. We didn't, um, but it shows us the danger of Bangladesh. They've they've got confident players. They've got great skill. Um, it's very pitch related. Saturday, it really is. You know, if if you, if it's a green pitch, England with the pace of Archer up top would plunk it if he comes back in. Should bowl well on it. Uh, it's quite square, quite wide square at the Swalec in Cardiff. So the short ball's in the game massively. Um, So don't be surprised if England goes short. Um, But it also means that if it turns, the slog sweep, the sweeps are long, long sixes. So that can be a danger for England. I think with Bangladesh, you'd probably have no pundit in the world putting them in the, the final four. But I think they'll be really close. I think, I don't think the South Africa game will be their final win of this World Cup. I think they'll have another big scalp in them. Definitely. I don't think they will make the Final Four because there's just such great strength out there in other nations. But I certainly don't think they'll walk away from this World Cup being embarrassed or or having been um, smashed by other teams. I think they'll always be competitive. Um, and if they get conditions in their, in their favour, they can beat anyone in the world. I genuinely believe that. Really tough start for South Africa. You know, they've, they've not really had time to... Loosen and warm into the tournament. They've played, well, they're playing the third game of the, the tournament when India come in and play the first game. So they've not really been able to see what conditions are doing and uh, and get used to it. They've had awful news of Dale Steyn missing the rest of the World Cup that came out today. So they're in a tough place. They're, missing Amla in the last game, their best player of spin, would have, was a huge problem for them, I think. He's obviously the, one of their best players. Huge asset out with concussion, I think, from Joffre Archer's hit. So they need to, to be India, really. Uh, they can only hope that India come in slightly cold and they catch them. To me, they look a, a player short. They look a, an all rounder at six, seven who can help them out with the ball short. They've got a long tail. They need Rabada and Imran here to have the tournaments of their lives from here for them to make the semi-finals. Uh, but I, it hurts me to say, because I, I love them as a cricketing nation and they've got brilliant history in the World Cup. Not necessarily winning, but great moments of World Cup history. I just think they, they, they've got four players who they need to have the best tournaments they could ever wish to have. And none, none of them have really got going yet. But if there's ever a time to lose games... It's at the start of the World Cup because if you can gain momentum and form and luck and everything leading into the last few and then the knockout stages, you can win it. But South Africa need to get moving quickly. I mean, as we're talking here at Edgebaston, a very rainy Edgebaston on Tuesday afternoon, uh, by the time the podcast comes out on Thursday, we'll know the result of of India, South Africa. So it might be a, a bit of a different discussion, but say if South Africa do lose that game, it's going to be a really testing couple of weeks for them. They've got the experience of Dale Steyn flying home, uh, a replacement coming in. Obviously, they'll be hugely hungry to to win and, and get moving, but winning's a habit and losing can become a habit. And we've seen Pakistan had lost 12 ODIs in a row before they beat England. It, it can be hard to get out of when you you don't know who you're looking to in your team to to. To strike, you know, no one looks in fantastic form for South Africa they've obviously got brilliant players in De Kock and Duplessis I think Markham looks a fine player but no one's really got moving yet if they do they'll be in with a decent chance of, of qualifying but they need to get moving quickly and they need their their batsmen to start scoring top heavy runs uh, I knew they were losing against Bangladesh the minute De Kock got run out because it was just that sort of thing that happens in cricket it happens in cricket when you get it wrong it's just a bit shambolic, and the whole changing room would have gone, oh, what has happened there? Our best player has just been run out. We've had the luck of him getting dropped. balls run away, yes, no, run out it's not our day uh so they need things to turn around quickly they need to decock to, to to stay in a bit longer um but they've got the talent to do it, but it would be a really tough change room to be in at the minute because. Everyone will want to be the person to go, I will I will kick-start this World Cup for us. But they need someone to actually go and do it. Obviously, we haven't seen India yet recording this on a Tuesday. We'll, we'll see them tomorrow. Uh, one thing to say, should be fresh. Not having played a game in this World Cup yet. Uh, quite a, a delayed start. Not sure the reason why. But they'll be very eager to get going. That will probably be an advantage to them. They'll be... Hungry to, to get moving. They've got a great leader in Virat Kohli, a brilliant ODI batsman. I think they'll always want to chase because Kohli's record of scoring runs and chasing is just world-class. I like them a lot. They're <sighs> I've got England as favourites. I think West Indies have got a great chance, but India have to be second favourites in my opinion. They're, they've got great experience, brilliant power, um world class players and and players of great players of pace, spin, maneuvering, boundary hitting, they've got just about everything covered. Um I see them being finalists. The only way I see India struggling it's a bit of an English thing to try and look at the negative, I suppose, isn't it? But if they turn up at a pitch that's green grass and overheads. You know, you can turn up at Lord sometimes, cloudy, and it swings around. Um, if India get lucky with conditions where it's blue sky and good ODI cricket pitches, they'll go a long, long way in this tournament. If they turn up and it's cloudy, swingy, cold, conditions that you could be 30 for five, that's... Where I see India struggling, that's where I see most teams struggling. You know, it's it's so unlike white ball cricket now that it does that. But I think there's such quality in international bowling around the world that if those bowlers get conditions that suit them, they could bowl a team out for a hundred. So um, that's where India will be praying they get lucky with conditions. If I was Australia, England, South Africa, etc., I'd I'd want. If I was waking up in the morning, opening the curtains, playing India that day, I'd want to see a bit of cloud, a bit of rain, and um, try and get that white ball nipping and swinging. And as we speak, Afghanistan and Sri Lanka are playing. Sri Lanka were bowled out for 201, and Afghanistan are 55 for 3 off 12. So, if Afghanistan could pull that victory off, that would be one of the greatest World Cup upsets, I think. I say upsets, you know... I look at them, I think they're a really good team. I i don't see them... I, I, I don't see this being their last victory if they go over the line. Rashi Khan is one of the best white ball bowlers in the world. They've got batsmen who can clear the ropes and they play... Well, what an exciting brand of cricket they play. I love watching them. They just look to hit sixes. They've got no fear. Uh, they really take on the bowling. So, um, actually, I hope they get over the line. I think it'd be brilliant for the game to see them win a... Win a huge world cup game like that and i mean it'd be terrible for sri lanka they've had a really tricky start um, they're going to want sort of conditions to turn their way quite quite quickly and get away from Cardiff, i think if they if they lose that but yeah it's um it would be brilliant if afghanistan could get through i love love watching rashid khan bowl against the best batsman in the world he can he can get anyone out on his day so it's uh, it's turning out to be a cracker there and i look forward to seeing the result Right, looking ahead to the next week's action in this 2019 Cricket World Cup. My game to watch has to be India versus Australia on Sunday from the Oval. Uh, two brilliant sides, two real contenders in this World Cup. Prediction? Hard result. Our prediction is Virat Kohli will get 100 and David Warner will get 100. Um, so if I get that wrong, I'm sure I'll get some tweets on, on Sunday evening. Uh, I actually think... India will win that game. I just I just think they've got such quality. The Oval's always a good batting pitch, quick run scoring ground. Uh, I think that'll be a... India will stamp their authority on the tournament, I think, on Sunday. There are a couple of other games that sort of gather our interest and some potential upsets. I think Bangladesh-Sri Lanka on Tuesday, uh, the way Bangladesh have started, the confidence they've gained. I sort of fancy them against Sri Lanka, actually. Uh, and a huge game on, on Monday, South Africa-West Indies. I think that's a real chance for West Indies to to show the world that, what power they've got. Uh, South Africa have struggled slightly. I think the West Indies will come in again with great pace with the ball, short pitch bowling. Uh, and then the power they've got with Chris Gale and Andre Russell with the bat. I fancy West Indies there. So to round up this week's World Cup thoughts I suppose. Uh, Steven's asked me the really difficult question of who are my final four? Who are my semi-finalists of this World Cup? Is that almost the impossible question after a week's worth of action. I think we'll know more this time next week. But I've got to make the call, so I'm going England of course as a semi-finalist. I'm sure India will there, it will be there. Australia I have no doubts will make it to the final four and the West Indies. So England, India, Australia and the West Indies will be my semi-finalists for this World Cup and judging by results the next week, I might change them. That's all we've got time for on this week's Broad and Fry. If you've been enjoying the show, then please do take the time to give us a rating, leave us a review and of course subscribe so that you can receive the episode automatically. Don't forget that you can also get in touch using the hashtag broadandfry on Twitter and Instagram. Send us your questions, observations, and of course, corrections. Enjoy your cricket, whether you're playing or watching. Bye for now.